0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. All across America, in town halls, in schools, in churches, in community centers, People have been, and will be, again this Tuesday, walking in, checking in, getting handed a ballot, taking that ballot, walking into the voting booth, and looking at that ballot. And it does seem that this year, more than many, I have heard people saying, even at that point, they still aren't sure who they should vote for. And now for Christians, that's particularly troubling because we as Christians, there are things that are important to us as Christians. We have a view of how the world ought to be. We have a view of how people ought to act. And so when we look at that ballot and and we think of the uh, campaign that has gone on, we look and say, wow, it doesn't seem like very much of this has been Christian at all. Do Do you agree with me on that? There's been so much stuff that's just not nice, not very Christian at all. And and, um, things have been revealed along the way that are really, you know, just kind of stuff you don't even want to have to think about, and yet we're forced to. And so as we as Christians enter that voting booth and we consider all of these things, you know, what is a Christian supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And so I wanna look at some things today that are gonna help you to be able to make that decision. If you haven't already, some of you have probably already voted. Some of you may already be clear on what you wanna vote, but there's some really important truths from the Word of God that we need to allow to shape us and our thinking. Has anybody besides me found themselves getting really frustrated this campaign season? Anybody? I had one week, and, I, and my wife could testify to it, and even my small group, I talked to them about it and asked them to pray for me. Because I had one week when I was like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, I was. I was just really frustrated with a lot of stuff, and, and, and it's like, why am I that way? So there are truths from the Word that are really, really important for us to understand. So let's go to the book of Daniel. Let's start there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under the chairs. And we're going to start on page 1024. And I'll give you page numbers as we look at some other passages today as well. Page 1024, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Now in this chapter, uh, the king uh, of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he was extremely powerful. Really, he was the preeminent power in all of the, the known world over there, the civilized world. And uh, he could pretty much do anything that he wanted. He's very powerful, very rich, very wealthy because of his conquest. And he had built this huge kingdom and this amazing city. But he had been confronted by the God of the universe through Daniel, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he was aware of this. And God gave gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. And as it turns out, it was a dream of how God was going to judge Nebuchadnezzar because of his pridefulness as a leader. Have you noticed how power often tends to equate with pridefulness? Have you noticed that? in our political structure. Not everybody, there's some good people in politics, some godly people in politics, but we see overall that this power tends to attract people that are pretty prideful, pretty egocentric, pretty narcissistic. Nebuchadnezzar was like that. But God is going to teach Nebuchadnezzar something and what he's gonna do is he's going to have him basically lose his mind for seven years. Go insane and act like an animal and live like an animal. And because this this wasn't like a democracy or a republic or anything like that, he was still the king. He was the ruler. And they thought, the people thought that he, you know, had connection with, with the gods and these powers. And so even though he was crazy, they didn't get rid of him. Seven years he loses his mind for because God wants to teach him something. And in teaching him something, teaches us something. So let's look in Daniel chapter four, again page 1024, and the Bible's in the chairs, and start on verse 17, because he has just told Daniel this dream, and Daniel is now going to tell him what it means. And so in verse 17, Daniel says, this decision is by the decree of the watchers, well, excuse me, this is still, This verse is still Nebuchadnezzar telling what the dream said. Sorry about that. Verse 17, he says, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order, now get this, that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. When he says sets over the lowest of men, what he means is not necessarily the men that people would choose. The the most popular, the the richest or whatever. God can set over government whoever he chooses. Now, we're going to read some other things that he says here. I want you to know that uh, God, well, let me, let's just read it. Okay, let's do that. Let's go to verse 25. So this is now Daniel giving the interpretation of the dream to him. In verse number 25 he says, They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you. A reference to seven years. He says this, Till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Go over to verse 34. So this happens to Nebuchadnezzar. For seven years he's, he's gone insane. He's acting and living like an animal. And then finally, at the end of the seven years, he comes back into sanity and, and the ability to think rationally. Verse 34, he says, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High, talking about God, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. My kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar says, is not an everlasting kingdom, but his is. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hands. Nobody can stop God from this or say to him, what have you done? Nobody gets to call him into question. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven all of whose works are truth and his ways justice and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. So the first thought we need to come to grips with is this, God is sovereign over all the affairs of man. He is, that's good news folks, he is sovereign over all the affairs of man. Now this doesn't mean that God is, has his hands in his micromanaging, he's taking candidates like in our, our form of government and making this, it isn't saying that, but he is over it all. Nothing that happens catches God by surprise. And if he thinks something different needs to happen, he will do what it takes to make something different need to happen. He is sovereign over all. And and the week that I was going, I wasn't thinking about God being sovereign over all of this. In the Psalms, it says it, and it says it so many times in Scripture, but in Psalm 22, it says, He rules over the nations. And the Lord is high above all nations. And so like I said, this doesn't mean that God is micromanaging and picking and choosing and putting. But the idea is that God has purposes in our world. He has an eternal plan that he is working out. And he will make sure that that happens. And if that means that he has to intervene in some way and bring a certain person to power or intervene a certain way and pull a person out of power, he not only will do that, he can do that. He is able. Man, we ought to take great hope in the fact that God is sovereign. We look at what's going on around us and we might say, well, God doesn't seem like God's doing a very good job here. But in like a nations like ours, I'll talk more about this, but we get to vote, don't we? And how do people vote? People tend to vote out of the fullness of their heart, what they're like, what they think is important. And so very often God lets us get as someone once said we get the leaders that we deserve that we have earned with our attitudes and and I say our I don't mean just us in this church I mean our our nation our people but because God rules over all and he has his eternal plans and purposes and you and I who know him are part of those eternal plans and purposes, we can remember as well what, what uh, he led the Apostle Paul to write in Romans chapter 8, that what? we know what? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And it goes on and elaborates that this, this good that he's working, he's conforming us to be like Christ. He's, he's helping us to learn to think Biblically and to live biblically and to honor and glorify Him. And so does all things include the 2016 election? It really does. You see, no matter who wins the election, when it's all said and done Tuesday night, no matter who wins the election, God is still God. We are still his people. He is still at work. He's still going to be doing the same things that he has always done. And so I want to encourage you today, stop worrying about it. And I know some of you have been worried about it. And I I get it. We ought to be concerned, right? Because what's going to happen in this election is going to affect our nation. It's gonna affect how the directions our nations take. It's gonna affect some of the decisions and policies that are put in place. It is going to make a difference. But someday, this time on earth will be like that. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that, what, appears for a little time and then vanishes. But God's plans and purposes are eternal. We don't have to worry. I think we ought to be concerned, and concerned is not a code word for worry. Okay, there there can be a difference. We ought to be concerned. We we do care about what happens in our nation, where we go, what it looks like we do and ought to. Okay. But we can stop worrying. Psalm thirty seven tells us this. He says, Do not fret. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Because he is sovereign. He rules over all. Now, so what do we do then, though, as Christians in the area of politics then? What do we do? What is our responsibility as Christians who are also citizens of the United States of America? Well, I think it's really important that we understand God's purposes for government. Uh, and, and the scripture is, is, it doesn't give great detail about this, but it gives some overarching things that are true about God's purpose for government. We go to Romans chapter 13, the first seven verses there and read about government, and we find this, that God's purposes for government are to protect freedom, and we'll see why in a minute. To protect freedom, to provide justice, and to maintain order. And pretty much that's what government's about. And when government, by the way, do governments always align themselves with what God's purposes for government are? No, why not? Because they're made up of people who don't always align themselves with God's purposes. So it shouldn't surprise us, but this is God's purposes for government. So when we as Christians are thinking, okay, what are we supposed to do and and who do we vote for? Or what, you know, how do we vote on an issue? All those kinds of things we wanna remember, this is God's purposes for government. To, to protect freedom, to provide justice, and to maintain order. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter two, page 1362. I wanna show you primarily why this idea of freedom, although to provide justice and maintain order does fit in this. This is Paul's first letter to Timothy, and Timothy is a, a, a pastor, missionary, pastor, and uh, Paul is giving him instructions about how the church should run and what's important, what they need to remember. And so that's what we want to read here in chapter two, the part of that. Paul says, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Okay, so you ought to be praying, praying for people. Why would we pray for people? Because God is what? Sovereign. He's the one who can work and make a difference. So I'll be praying for them. And then he gets more specific. Verse two, he says, for kings and all who are in authority. Now in the United States of America, we don't have a king anymore. Okay, king, queen, but we have people who are in authority. People who hold governmental positions. And he's saying, pray for those who are in authority in government. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now, what I want you to see, I'm gonna show you in just a minute. It sounds like he's saying pray for these people so we can just have, enjoy the good life. Anybody here like, have a good life? I do, I like when life is easy. I like it when I have things I like to have and can do the things I like to do and all that kind of stuff. That is not what God is talking about here. When he talks about leave quiet and peaceful lives in all reverence, what he's saying is that so we can live our lives like Christians, the way Christians are supposed to live, in reverence before God, doing good things, doing what is right. Pray for the leaders because can the leaders interfere with that? Yes. They can, now, the leader, let's just, once again, let's get, keep things in proper perspective. There is no government leader that can ever keep you from obeying God. But he can certainly change the circumstances in which you're obeying God. On one sense, you know, if I have great freedom, my sense of God is to be busy living the way God says I ought to deal with my responsibilities the way I ought to in my community. I ought to be on the mission with Christ of sharing the gospel and reaching people for Christ. That is how I ought to be living and what I ought to be doing. Well, government can change the circumstances because there are governments in the world and ours could become this way who actively persecute Christians, who will throw Christians in jail, who will potentially even threaten their lives. And so, even when that happens, they can't keep you from obeying God. Do you remember the apostles as they stood before the, the leaders there in Jerusalem? And they said, you've got to stop preaching in this name of Jesus. You've got to knock it off. And they said, well, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. But we have to obey God. Right? And it brought persecution into their lives. And so we can always choose to obey God. It just may lead to us getting thrown in prison. Killed. But so we're praying for these people in authority that we might be able to live the way Christians ought to live in this world, which includes carrying out the mission. And let me show you that to you. So we read there, verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires, what? All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we, we need to pray for those who are in authority over us. Now, <clears throat> you know, when you and that doesn't just include the president, the president of the country, it include any all who are in authority, that says, but I want you to think. You might think, what's the point of praying for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? They could care less, you might say, right? That's how big is your view of God? Is God able to change the direction of Donald Trump? Is God able to change the direction of Hillary Clinton? Yeah, and I don't necessarily that they're gonna necessarily become Bible-believing Christians and share those values with us, but he can govern and lead in a decision or whether a policy gets implemented or not. I mean, all these things. We need to pray and ask God to work through our government leaders so that we can remain free to live like Christians and to carry out the mission that he has given us to do. So we need to be praying. See, this is, in other words, this is one of God's purposes for government, that is it protects freedom and provides justice and maintains order, that it does so so that you and I can be actively, purposefully pursuing the mission that Christ has given us. Not so that we can have a second car, a bigger home, nicer clothes. Not that there's anything wrong with those. But do you understand what I'm trying to say? And so that's the purpose of government. And so then we say, so well, who do we vote for then? <laughs> you know, you look and say, well, who lines up with that? Well, as we go decide who to vote for, you need to consider personal issues and position issues, personal issues and position issues. In the Old Testament, as, as King David, he had been ruling for years, he had had a lot of success, he'd had some, done some really stupid, even sinful things, problems. And as he comes down to the end of his life and he's giving his last words, one of the things he says is this. He says in 2 Samuel, he says, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And so what he's saying here is that that for someone to be the kind of ruler that God wants them to be, they need to have good character. They must be just. They, they, They need to be about doing what's right, not about personal gain, not about more power, not about... You know, what people think of but I gotta do what's right and must be just and then ruling in the fear of God and this sense is that the fear of God is the idea of recognizing that I am accountable to God for how I lead. All right? So you look at our candidates for president and you go, Oh boy. Because I think both candidates have, have shown us a lack of character, not just in this campaign, but over the years. We don't get a sense that either one of them are ruling, with, or ruling desiring to, to lead our nation with this conscious that I'm accountable to God for how I do this, we don't see that, right? Okay, so if we're not seeing that, what do we what do? We do? <laughs> Well, I think then we move on to what are their positions on the issues. What are their positions on the issues? Turn to Proverbs chapter 14. Now, (laughs) have you, you know, what do they say? There's two topics that they say don't discuss in polite company. What are they? Politics and religion, right? I find, actually to be honest with you, that it's easier to speak of religion <laughs> now than it is of politics. But we get that. But what, the reason we're saying is because people do have this tendency to do what? To get all <sighs> charged up over this, okay? And, and, and combative over it. But we, as Christians, we need to stop and think that everything, I mean, every opinion that I have about things is not necessarily God's will. Oh boy, that's a big one to swallow, isn't it? You mean my opinion might not be authoritative? What I believe about this? You know, I mean, we tend to feel our opinion is the right one. What I want to say is this, there are lots of, opinions when it comes to government and what government does and how it does it. There are lots of of issues like that where even Christians can disagree on how to do this. What's the best way to do this? How much money should we spend on it? How long should the program be? What should the goals be? I mean, even Christians can disagree on those things, all right? And so when it comes to those kind of issues, we just gotta make the best decisions we know how when it comes to voting based on what we think is, is true and right. But there are, are some issues where Christians ought to see things the same. Here in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, it says, righteousness exalts a nation. So it's a rightness, right living, right ways of doing things Things that are good and right according to the way God says exalts a nation, builds a nation up, strengthens a nation. You know, there's a, a quote that's attributed to uh, a man named Tocqueville back in, I think it was 1700s. I don't think it was, eight, it could be 1800s. I don't remember for sure. But he said that America is great because she is, you remember what he said? Good. All right, so righteousness exalts a nation, strengthens a nation. But the second half of that proverb, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is a disgrace to any people, any nation. And so when we begin seeing issues that are about righteousness or sin, those are things which we must Take a stand on, if no other way, when we vote. We must take a stand on these things. And so we need to ask questions Is this is is the the position that this candidate is holding, and if this person, this candidate is elected, they get to work toward trying to get their policies in place and doing that? And we look at is it righteousness or sin? And I think a couple of things, issues that just really, really stand out to me. One is in the area of morality. What God says is right. And, and our nation, as we know, started right here in Massachusetts, but has, has turned on this whole issue of morality and what is right and what is wrong. What is right when it comes to marriage? Our nation has turned away from and, And what's happening is they're wanting to put an official stamp of approval on sin. People have always done what they wanted to do in their private lives, right? They do. We know that people sin, people don't sin. We get that. But when the nation takes and says, they don't say sinful, but they're saying this sinful activity, sinful behavior, this sinful choice, this sinful way of life, and now they put our stamp, official by the law's stamp of approval on that, sin is a reproach to any people. It is bad for our nation. It tears our nation down. Okay, uh, and the issues of life. You know, the unborn child who cannot protect himself or herself. And the attitudes, and let me just stop before I go any farther because I know things happen in people's lives and people have made choices in lives and, and struggle to live with those choices sometimes. When I'm talking about taking of the un- life of an unborn child, I want you to know that if you have experienced it, if you have done that, God has mercy, love, and grace for you just like he does for all of us. So I'm not trying to condemn you, the person, But what I'm trying to say is when our government wants to take and put its official stamp of approval that that is okay, not only is it okay, we will pay for it for you. Do you see what I'm saying? Sin is a disgrace. It's a reproach to any people. And so I think when we look at these candidates and whether, you know, we like this candidate or that candidate or how we feel about this one or that one, we want to say, what are their policies? And if they get to implement their policies, what's it going to look like? Well, there's lots of that stuff we can agree or disagree on. But when it comes down to whether this is righteousness or sin, you see the difference? And I think these things... Help us to make this decision. And it's these kinds of issues that, for me, has made it very clear, but not very pleasant. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so, what I really want to encourage you to do here is to evaluate the Kansas Wave, to vote for the candidate whose views or policies are most likely to be aligned. If that they get to implement their policies, will they most likely be aligned to, to a biblical worldview of government, a biblical morality, of biblical wisdom? Will their view of government, approach to government, maintain our freedom to serve the Lord with our lives? And then vote. And I encourage you, you don't really have to agonize over this that much. We agonize because we want to, you know, do what's right. And we're concerned about what we do makes difference. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Trust God. In all your ways acknowledge him. So even as you bring these issues from the word of God and sin and, and righteousness and, and you bring these things to bear, he says, in all your ways acknowledge him. So we're gonna do our best to do that in this situation. And he says, and he will direct your path. Trust him. Go on. Because what you need to understand, turn to Philippians chapter three. When the day is done, when it's all said and over, and we're gonna be at page 1,351. Paul's been challenging God's people to, to press toward the highest standards of living for Christ. And, and he says, and those who don't, he describes them, and we get to verse 20, he says this. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a citizen of the United States. I'm glad to be. I don't want to be a citizen of any other country in the world. But before I am a citizen of the United States, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that's where my primary allegiance is. And that's also why, however, this election goes. I have things I'd like to see about it and how I hope it goes. But no matter how it goes, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that means that needs to be my top allegiance. That needs to be what is most important to me in my life. Living for Christ, as we sang, wholly devoted. No matter what the cost. That's the way we must be living. You see, God has entrusted to us a mission and, and no matter who wins the election, we live in a world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. No matter who wins. No matter who wins the election, your, your unsaved family members need to hear the gospel. Your neighbors who don't know Christ, your coworkers, your friends who don't know Christ, no matter who wins the election, they need to hear the gospel. No matter who wins the election, the people who live in this area around us and in our region, in the greater Worcester area, need to know the gospel. They need a genuine opportunity to know Christ, no matter who gets elected. No matter who gets elected, people all over the world need to hear about Christ. And so we need to be praying and giving and sending missionaries to go do that. Our mission is so much more important than who wins this election. And we have a responsibility, I think a privilege, to be able to vote. And we need to use that wisely, but when all is said and done, God is sovereign over all, and He has called us to a mission. And if we will do that, we will experience the reality and the power of God in our lives. You know, sometimes I think we get, as I talked earlier about, you know, quiet and peaceable lives. And we think about our lives and what we want and how we want it to be and all this. And and I think we get confused and start, not consciously, but in in, practical matters, start thinking that this is our heaven. And it's not. And we love all of this too much, then we get really concerned about this election because it's going to affect all of this stuff. But I, I like the old gospel song. It says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And that's the perspective we need to live in today and tomorrow. And on Tuesday when I go into the booth, I need to live with that perspective. When I come out of the booth, I need to live with that perspective. And the next day and the next and the next and the next. So I want to tell you whoever wins this election, we got to Awesome, exciting, amazing mission to be about. And I'm excited about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are sovereign over all. we don't have to worry We find ourselves worrying, we find ourselves concerned, Lord, and and I know that that's natural for us as humans, but I I pray as Christians, Father, we'll believe your word that you rule over the affairs of men and and that you're on a mission and you've called us to join you in that mission. And if we will live with you for that, that all of this other stuff you're going to take care of. I do pray for our nation, Father. I pray for our leaders now that that you would work in their hearts and minds and cause them to see and understand and make choices. Maybe choices even sometimes they don't understand, but choices that would keep us free and able to do what you've called us to do. And I pray for for Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, Lord, whoever ends up in office, I pray that the, the moment that they are elected, that you would bring on them such a huge burden of responsibility that they would begin to understand that they are accountable to you for that. And if they don't know you, that they would come to know you. Oh, Father, please do this great work. But most of all, would just please stir us to get on this mission of making sure that everyone you've entrusted to us has a genuine opportunity to know you. I pray this in Jesus' name.